Welcome again to our listeners to our frequent podcast called Wear Many Hats, inspired by Ethan Hawkey. Throughout the year, I, David Punter, the Business Development Director for Hawkey Cleaning and Support Services, shall be interviewing prominent facilities management and procurement subject matter experts across a range of industry sectors. It's these people with their wealth of knowledge and, and experience that will inspire the next generation of professionals coming through the industry. Our objective is to share our guests' stories and experiences to help motivate, engage and inspire others into the industry. Through Wear Many Hats podcast, we hope our listeners will gain new perspectives, insights and learn about strategies to develop their careers in the facilities management or procurement business. Gives me great pleasure to introduce Magnus McCauley, but please call me Mac. And you are from London Bridge City. Thank you for that. And without further ado, I'd like to um, start with a series of uh, questions. Um, I'm not going to put you too much on the spot here, Mac. Um, but um, just tell me a little bit about you know what was your journey um, in terms of entering into the uh, career of facilities management. It's really interesting, actually. I think, like a lot of people, uh, we find ourselves in in facilities management, property management, almost by accident. I, many, many, many years ago, had a brief career in the military. Okay. Um, which took me all around the world, from where I'd grown up in, in the Highlands of Scotland. I arrived in London primarily because my then-girlfriend, now-fiancé, was here, and it seemed to make sense. And I thought, I thought that it'd be quite easy to find work in London. As it happened, it wasn't. And I bounced around through a number of roles that I think a lot of ex-military veterans do. I worked um, for a security contractor and did reasonably well in, in, in that business and eventually was found myself mobilizing contracts uh, in the West End. As a part of that, was working with uh, a man managing agents and property managers, building managers, and was intrigued by the variety of the work that they were undertaking, the range of responsibilities that they had. And as one does, you 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 know you contribute, you 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 add a bit of value, yeah. you, you you listen and you learn. And and I eventually left that business, and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do next. It wasn't really fulfilling me. I, I I'd done well by them, and I think they had they had benefited from my time with them. But it was time for me to move on, and I left that business uh to go and think about what i want to do next still in london still not earning particularly a lot of money and i got a phone call um and they said we we, we just we've just acquired a large property in the west end uh your name came up in conversation the team running it aren't going to transfer across we've we've, we've got a hole to fill would you be interested in coming in for an interview and that that arose purely because i had left some good impressions with some fairly influential decision makers. Okay, and I and, and on the back of that, I stepped into a, in hindsight, which was pretty pretty big, responsible, operational facility management role. And where was that building? That was in the West End, or it, it was in it was in the West End, one of the largest buildings in the West End, uh, at least at that time. This is this is a while ago, um, Berkeley Square House. Okay, uh, I know it, which, which takes up the entire east side of Berkeley Square. Um, huge building in terms of square footage, not particularly tall and not particularly pretty, um, but yeah, well north of uh, five hundred thousand square feet. Um, 
and with all sorts of businesses in it and interesting retail around it. And and really, you you, you know, you ask about the journey into FM. It was a door that opened for me because I had worked very closely with and left good impressions with people doing what I do now. Okay. Um, and I think that is that is something I've always held on to. You know, the, the, the you know, not everyone arrives in this through an academic route. I think increasingly these days there are academic routes into facilities management and estates management. But at the time, really, there wasn't. It was an emerging sector and and, uh, and an emerging discipline, uh, and no one really knew what it meant. So, just by being professional, being being focused, leaving good impressions with. Um, one of the major managing agents operating in London at the time, when that opportunity came up to to to, to look look for an operations manager, as the title was, you know, I said yes, and they said yes, and I okay. haven't looked back. So, really, really accidental. Um, so, yeah. so what? Um, sorry, what what was that managing agent that was looking after the Barclay House at the time? Uh, it was a part of what used to be GBA. Okay, GBA Grimley yeah. became GBA. And became various other things subsequently. I suppose that business is now Abbott Young, actually. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And 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 I mean, what's interesting um, I've come across is that a lot of people from um, a military background uh, discipline have entered into the FM industry. Um, and do you think that that helped you in any way? I think it did. It certainly helped, although I didn't necessarily enjoy it. It certainly helped. In the in the security industry initially, okay, yeah, definitely. Um, but moving into FM, I think it is it is it is quite. It, you need to be quite organised and quite structured and quite disciplined. Yeah. Um, even if you're not particularly technical, you're dealing with a range of risks and responsibilities in in, in what can be quite a high tempo, dynamic environment. You've got to be a part of a team that you can trust. You've got to you've got to rely on people. You've got to trust people. And I think all of those things brought together mean that. Someone who's had a military experience, no matter which service mm-hmm. or for how long, you know, not everyone succeeds, but I think it does lend itself towards people who have had that, uh, who have needed to have had the, that structured, disciplined approach. Um, it's also about teamwork and it's also about relationships. And I think the idea uh, in the military that there's a hierarchy uh, and there is a an implied respect required for people in certain roles makes... Um, the the puts occupiers quite rightly and 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 more tenants as we used to call them but occupiers businesses in our properties in multi properties it puts them on that pedestal so there is a respectfulness about the approach okay. to business to business generally and, okay and that professional conduct um comes from the the training that one received in the military right i mean the reason why i asked uh, this mac is that there will be uh, some of our listeners that are coming from the or out of the uh, military um and uh, maybe looking at this as a role to to, mm. to go into. Um, so, what is it about your um, that you like about your your uh, facilities management role? Um, let's say now. I think there is a very obvious question. Uh, aunt, sorry, excuse me. Answer to that question, which is variety, and 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 I think a lot of people would 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 reach for that. There really are so many aspects and facets to the role to the okay. industry. So, I think. I, I love the fact that every day is a school day. Every day is a learning day. And even for someone like myself who's probably been around too long, 20-odd years I've been doing this now, I think there are still lots of things to learn. The world around us keeps changing. The expectations of employees 
and crucially our clients, employees, changes. The world has changed enormously on the back of, of, of the recent uh, pandemic and the, and the changes that brought to, to all sorts of sectors. So the variety is certainly something that keeps me going, keeps me learning, keep, keeps me wanting to feel as though I'm contributing, able to contribute and contributing. And that is that is a, a massive pull factor for me. I'm not a particularly not, I'm not particularly academic. Um, I like to learn through experience, through interaction, okay. through relationships. And I think that that leads me to the second point, which is people. Um, you like being um, part of a team and, and having a team um, with, with you. Being, being a part of leading it or being a part of it, uh, supporting a, a, a high-performing team. I suppose there's, there's synergies there again with the military, ex-military yeah. idea. But being a part of a team, at the end of the day, it's not really about the bricks and mortar. No. It is about the people, either the businesses that are in our properties that we're looking after providing services to, or the people that we need to manage and lead to deliver services directly. Um, extended supply chains. You know, there are there are nearly 300 people involved in delivering services at London Bridge City, for example. It's by no means the largest estate, um, but that is a lot of people to take in a certain direction, depending on, you know, what the appetite of the landlord is, what the appetite of the businesses, the work there are. So variety, the learning opportunities, which never end if you're, okay. if you have an open mind and, and the people, the relationships you build, some of which are there for life. You know, there's, there, I've made lifelong friends and, and allies through, through this business. Okay. Thank you for that. I mean, I, I mean, you mentioned, um, there's a, a you st- there's a lot of things to learn. So for, for Mac, what 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 else is there to learn? I think primarily the the learning piece for me has been about people. I made a decision around about a year ago, a little bit more, when a significant change happened in my leadership team. So, quite a senior colleague left the structure that I support, and the business said to me, "What are you going to do? You know, what do you what do you want to do to replace this? Is it more of the same?" And I said, "No." Where I work currently at London Bridge City, you know, my reference points now are three years at London Bridge City. Where I work now, it's not the easiest place to work. It, it's high tempo, a lot of scrutiny, uh, a lot of change, a lot of development work. So we needed to build a team that could deliver all the time on top of its game. How do you sustain a high-performing team over a period of time when there isn't really a a point where you say the job is done, so it doesn't stop. Okay. And I and I was looking at what other managing agents and developers were doing with their offer, particularly in the city. And I really liked what I saw uh, at Twenty Two Bishopsgate, which which was being mobilised by JLL. Correct. And they had established a community culture role. And, and I was aware of the individual. And I said to the business, I, I, I want one of those. Because the part of our roles in this high-tempo environment that always get squeezed are the time we should spend with our, with our colleagues, sitting down with them, checking in with them, uh, learning and development, coaching, mentoring, the conversations over coffee, how are you doing, what do you need from me? They always get squeezed because we are surviving the day, we're moving on to the next thing, what's the next priority? And actually, it's it's not HR, it, it, and it's not a counselling service. It's it's people and culture, and and that's what I reached for. So it is it is for me. It is about people, and it is about continuing to understand how do you build a high performing team and then sustain it indefinitely. Actually, and that team may not always be made up of the same individuals, 
but the DNA has to be sustained through through a, a prolonged period of time. So um, I hired a head of people culture, and I think what I'm continuing to learn, and she is a particularly special individual. I think the role, the job description itself, was always going to be a bring a step change to 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 to, to my okay. part of the organisation. But I think beyond that, she brings a lot of of herself, which is quite special, and it has just. Um, super boosted our ability to build a culture mm. that 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 is designed if you like to 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 allow people to succeed what does success look like it looks like a b c how do we get there we make sure we have all these cultural elements involved mm. now before i'd arrived at lbc and was met with this significant challenge huge team parts of it working well parts of it frankly needing, needing to improve Lots going on, huge change program, bringing that through in terms of COVID and the lockdown. The the cultural shift had been something that I wanted and I knew it would challenge me. I have learned so much. So I think it is really about it is really about people that we continue to, to, mm. to learn. But I mean, Mac, but I mean it's very from a you know, from a cleaning perspective, which is all about people, it's very refreshing uh to hear um what you're saying about people and culture and things. It's just just as a, a side issue, just for our listeners to understand, um, I believe that the London Bridge City uh, sits um, in the sort of Hayes Gallery and along that wharf bit there so that people understand where, where it is. It's a very um, prominent piece of uh, both public realm, um, uh, offices, retail, I don't know. Is there residential that comes under your a, a small a small amount? Is, is okay, so just so people know what area of London we're talking about, a very beautiful area uh, to go. It's just sort of adjacent to HMS Belfast there. Yeah. Um, so that people come and see us. People come and, <laughs> exactly come and see us, as it were. A um, bit of a plug for the area as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so you're working obviously in the um managing agent side so that kind of uh, uh, moves us on there to what skills um do you think are required to do your job i think there are well the point i suppose the point being is that there are many facets to the role um primarily i think as a more visible in a more visible role in a more visible leadership role it it is about people Okay. Um, it's about leadership, which is not the same as being a manager. I think that, you know, we're looking at behaviors, we're looking at uh, support, we're looking at making sure that culture exists in the first place. Um, one has got to have strong sort of financial acumen. You've got to have a, you've got to have a handle on your budget. We are, as a managing agent, inevitably spending other people's money. Correct. Uh, and now, I mean, there's never been a good time to not pay attention to, to that, you know, in the, in the past, uh, it's always been important. Uh, the Royal Institute of Child Surveyors has, you know, for a long time set out best practice around the management and reporting on service charges. But I think in, in, in the cost of living crisis, um, the, the impact of utilities costs on our service charges, certainly in building older buildings, older stock that is that don't operate as efficiently as some of the shiny new very efficient, Briam, excellent buildings that are being pulled out of the ground at the moment do. Um, you've got to have an eye for the numbers. Um, risk management is huge. Okay. Compliance and risk management. So an understanding of the le- regulatory framework that we're operating in is really important. Um, it's not moving as fast, actually, as it did, I think, in, in the northeast. There was a lot of regulatory change then. Um, but you still 
really got to keep your eye on where best where best practice is going, where 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 statutory compliance is going. Okay. Um, and at the moment, topically, it's very much about fire, and and quite rightly so. Yeah. On the back back of the Grenfell disaster, horrific tragedy tragedy mistakes made there. Finally, there are pieces of legislation coming through that will um, make it incumbent on landlords and manager agents and, yeah. and other parties to to do it right to keep these, keep our buildings safe. So. I think the regulatory framework and the compliance piece, at the end of the day, we are all risk managers of one size or shape. So I think un- having that understanding of risk management and prioritizing um, risk is important. Um, and then and then it's it's operations, you know, and then that is linked to the people piece. I think we are managing big operations, um, some very highly skilled uh, components, some fairly low skilled, low, 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 low wage, low salary jobs, uh, to have an understanding of a broader understanding to understand how those contracts work, what they're supposed to deliver, to measure value, is um, is really important. So you know we have a huge variety uh, of, of relationships through the extended supply chain. So that operational contract management piece is really okay. important. And 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 I mentioned their measurement. And I think the final piece, which is which is important, is is to have a an understanding of the of the need and value of data in in the in the in the modern world. Data is so powerful. It always has been. We've always collected data. I think in the past we probably collected data and not really known done what, anything with it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Whereas nowadays, with the Internet of Things and and being everything being interconnected, um, we have to realise the power of data to justify decision making to, to justify expenditure. Um, it is the ultimate business case. Okay. Um, empirical data talks volumes, volumes about. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, interesting. You mentioned about the um, uh, so, sort of the, the 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 lower salaries levels of staff and stuff. And I'm just going to ask a sort of bullet point um, opinion here: is that I mean, what what's your view on the um, paying the real living wage, i.e., the eleven ninety five? Well, personally, uh, I have always reached for um, to be ahead of the London living wage. Okay. If if I've been fortunate, I've worked for uh, clients who have um, signed up to the Living Wage Foundation. Okay. And and, and recognise that not all do, no. and not necessarily in in a in a sort of deliberate sense, but just because it's not on their radar. But I've always championed that, and we do reach for the best possible deal we can get for our people. Um, People who are working at night, having to travel in the mm. early hours of the morning, uh, and and work in all weathers in the public realm, and so on and so forth. So we always try and track the London living wage as a minimum and keep ahead of it. Mm. Are they paying that in um, on at London Bridge? Yes, and and north of it. Okay, that's excellent. Um, I, I think it is. You know, it's it's now with the cost of living and things, it's the it's the right thing to do. But it's it's, it's not about me and our opinions. But it's. Uh, I think the, I think the consideration there needs to be, you know, there's huge value in in retention and continuity. Mm. There's huge value in actually being seen, authentically seen to do the right thing by people who are, who are working hard. So, but there is a value to it. I mean. We don't just do these things for no reason. There is a business case. There is a, a business sense behind it. If you lose good people because they can move to the other side of London and earn a little bit more, that costs. It costs yeah. in terms of time and resource, filling that role, training that result role. And I think that investment is, is you know, in my mind, is relatively easy to justify. 
of course, the business case has to be there. And and the and, and the consideration I make is the world we live in now. There is there is a technological solution to just about anything you can imagine, mm. and that's where data becomes important. I think productivity more, now more than ever. If we want to reach for a fair deal, for certainly for for lower pay, lower skilled roles, perhaps security officers and officers and cleaning colleagues are, are, are in that bracket. The best way to continue to be able to afford to pay them and you know pay them fairly for a job being done and to reach for the best deal for them is to look at productivity and efficiency. Is the technology? whatever they met that may be mm-hmm. that cannot replace human beings and we're not looking to sort of save money this is about mitigating the ever increasing cost of employing large teams of people so if you can become more efficient by using technology if you can become more efficient by leveraging technology there may be an opportunity through natural wastage to to change the size and shape of a team continue to deliver the service pay people a fair wage for doing that work um, but actually not see this ever upward spiral in cost and i think sometimes the london living wage is seen as being this this concept that could just pull costs associated with those cleaning teams or and other and other similar uh, roles that sit in that in that area on an ever upward spiral which is you know unappetizing for landlords mm. but i think we can intervene and say well look let's let's get the best deal but how can we work more efficiently this doesn't need to be mass redundancies this doesn't need to be cut costs, cut, cut numbers of people. Mm. Um, it's about okay. cost mitigation, I think. Okay, so thank you for that. It was a, a sort of a, a side question there. Um, I'm just going to uh, ask you just quickly on a um, what would you say is a, a and, and I know a lot of people would say it's not such thing as a typical day, but what does a typical day look like for, for, for Mac? I know the standard answer from from colleagues in, in, in FM is there is no such thing as a typical day. I, I think there is. There is a very typical day. Uh, it starts at eight and it finishes at six, and it's relentless. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, okay. Well, that's. Um... I, I think uh, it, it's high tempo stuff all the way, and I think maybe why people say there's no typical day is again, it's that point about variety. You can be talking to uh, colleagues in different disciplines, uh, providing different sorts of services. Um, it's such a broad church, but. You know, for me, the, the the consistency is high tempo, complex, dynamic environment where mm-hmm. where change is the norm. You know, I talk to my senior leadership team all the time about a, cha- a culture of change, change culture, um, and be experimental. And I think that for me is a typical day. A typical day will mean arriving at work. I cycle to work, so so I sort of arrive and, and get changed, and I'm sort of you know fresh and ready to go. But it means be you know moving into top gear straight away. Okay. One doesn't spend a couple of hours drifting around, having nice conversations, thinking about where where you're going to buy your coffee. You know, it, it's it at the deep end from the get go. And for me, it's leadership. It's about leadership. It's about it's about leading from the front. You know, yeah. everybody else who's coming off night shift, who's arriving for the day shift, who's moving into construction sites, who's checking in to start doing security in the public realm with literally thousands of people around them with all sorts going on they are there in that moment looking for a leadership team who gets it so why wouldn't we arrive and get into top gear straight away so for me the typical day is high tempo dynamic dynamic get-go from 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 the minute you arrive and and that is typical fantastic so i mean now i would say what, what would you say to someone 
um, by way of advice if they were starting their career off in the um, facilities management arena? To balance, if I can ex describe it as vocational learning and academic, okay. um, I think there's there's now more than there certainly was when I started. Uh, back back in the early noughties, the, the BIFM existed, it, it's now yeah. the IWFM. I, I, um, I think a combination of learning through experience and learning through, hopefully, working for good managers who coach and share uh, insights in, into the industry. Is, so is, mentorship as yeah, well with, yeah. with, with, with good people. Um, okay. Because academic learning can't give you those no. insights into what makes people tick. No. How, you don't become, unfortunately, you can't buy experience, so you can't become a leader of a large, complex team uh, just by going on some courses and, and perhaps interacting with some people and getting some qualifications. I think that's really important. Mm. I think a blend of, of both academic learning and, and on-the-job training is probably the way forward. I think there are these days there are recognized degree courses, yeah. there are diplomas. They didn't exist. Uh, no. There were one or two available in specific universities and colleges when I was uh, sort of cutting my teeth many years ago. Nowadays, it's 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 much easier to find a uh, you know an academic path in, but even at that point, if you arrive with a postgrad in FM, which you can do, uh, a master's probably sort of business orientated. Even then, you know you you then got to arrive and start bolting on all the skills involved mm. in communication and people management and leadership and soft all the more skills. soft skills, human skills that are far more nuanced. So I think it's just a case of you know taking those opportunities. I mean, my experience, whether it's valid or relevant now or not i don't know but my experience was leave those good impressions with people you know you're it, every day every meeting whether you're a passenger or a silent witness or a top contributor yeah uh, they are all auditions for the future and it is such a varied it is such a varied career so one may be a security officer as i was having left the military having left sandhurst and thought I was going to embark on a great career in London and found that no one recognized what I'd done. Um, we hadn't spent, at that point, we hadn't spent two decades fighting wars in the in, in the Middle East. So no one recognized my skill set. I was just a security officer. And I don't mean just a security officer because that's my view on security officers. That was my starting point. Mm. And I just walked through every door that was opened or partially opened. Um, and I've ended up very fortuitously, and it is my privilege to be quite a senior, visible manager on a fantastic piece of real estate. So I think a combination of taking those opportunities, leaving the right impression, you know, listening to and 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 drawing down from coaches and mentors who are available to you, but also consider looking across the the training organizations and the professional bodies who offer academic routes mm -hmm. because i think more and more these days employers are looking for uh qualifications that 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 at least demonstrate the ability to um to learn and on board information uh, to turn it around to turn it into something to write papers to communicate it back mm. uh, in in a, in a in quite a complex environment i mean do you mentor um people in your team at the moment yes okay. uh we we've i've actually created with with the, uh, with with my head of people and culture, a, a, a London Bridge City specific uh, concept, um, which is LBC Next Gen. Okay. And every single member of my senior team, including myself, uh, coaches, men mentors actually probably is is a better way of, of mm -hmm. describing it. Um, somebody 
and 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 the process for identifying that is to the entire team, as I say, three hundred strong, circa three hundred strong. Mm. Everybody within London Bridge City was able to apply for estate director next gen, and they get uh, they get for over a six month period, two hours a month, to kind of experience what it's like to live in my shoes for better or worse, actually. So they get those insights. And actually, there is a reverse mentoring going on because, you know, people like myself, my technical director, my head of people and culture, head of a place and community, um, they end up interacting with individuals who are from all, all, you know, all, all across the team, all sorts of disciplines that you wouldn't ordinarily, you might say hello mm. and you might bump into them at a team meeting or in other scenarios, you might might see them in the property or as you cross the estate and say hi, which which we always do, but you wouldn't spend time no. trying to explain to them what what I do, what we do, and answering their questions. And and it's 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 quite enlightening. I mean, that's an interesting point because on our, um, I think our fourth episode, um, a uh, chap that I was interviewing, um, David Stevens from the NHS, does a similar thing. Um, so that sort of reverse thing is is a, a very um, enlightening uh, concept. Um, looking um, now, I'm going to lump two sort of two of my questions really in together um, with the sort of the COVID and stuff. But um, looking specifically at facilities management. Has the way facilities management changed, I would say, over the years? And I, I think because we, you know, my next question was sort of thinking about COVID as well. We might, I'll allow you to, to <laughs> lump the two together on, on this one. I think it has changed. Um, some of those changes are quite subtle, but some of them I think are really material. I, I feel as though having been in facilities management, property management, for the last 20 years that it's grown up it's matured okay um initially you know we all worked alongside in, in my case um primarily worked alongside um chartered surveyors and they had building managers and then and then it started to build from there and some of those some of those businesses and those individuals didn't really know what fm was and there wasn't a huge amount of guidance. There wasn't, the, the, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a sort of discipline in its own right. It grew and it grew and it grew. And I think organisations like the BIFM made a big difference by actually saying that we we are a distinct sector here. Absolutely. But it but it always felt a little bit um, like it was being pulled together, and some of it was really credible, some of it wasn't, and it was such a broad church. So I think what I mean by pulled together and was that. It, Inevitably, it had to sort of it had to allow for the lowest common denominator, and I mean, job titles aside, a building manager could be a building manager in a in a very small property, but a building mm-hmm. manager could also be a building manager in a in a in a in a in a tower in the city of London. So, I think over the last twenty years or so, I think the the, the, the sector has matured out, and 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 it is now a distinct sector, uh, a specialist sector in its own right. Okay, um, and 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 alongside that. Um, not least the Royal Institute of Charts of Ayers, but you know also the IWFM have released uh, papers and best practice that, that do actually articulate what what is FM and what it does. So I think it's changed enormously, um, and that's been in response to to a a, a, a you know it's a, there's a market there's a market there for yep. 
people to deliver services, oversee uh, extended, quite complex supply chains, um, and to understand the linkage between people and um, what people expect and mm. what people need, and and the widest variety of services that are on offer out there to deliver to meet those expectations. So I think it's 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 moved enormously in COVID. I think massively accelerated that maturing process um, in some respects, and it also challenged norms in a way that possibly we wouldn't have expected. Correct. Um, in, in in quite substantial ways, um, you know you. The, the 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 question about whether or not uh agile working and working from home can actually be be uh achieved for a for an operational facility manager remains a big question for us all you you can't manage a complex property from surrey or kent or essex you you need to be in it you need to be on it you need to be having conversations with people so i think there was a there was a substantial amount of accelerated learning and and um and and you know a lot of thought leadership came out of the covid period around around fm and 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 i i'm enjoying seeing the sector continue to mature to the extent that actually i think in in a lot of cases now the emphasis is on, is on the operational teams mm-hmm. The reliance is on the operational teams to be the experts in many respects. And the days of, uh, I need to be careful what I say here in terms of, um, you know, people, people that I work for, but I think the days of, uh, chartered building surveyors, general practice surveyors needing to be uh, involved in everything are, are not, you know, th- th- those days are behind us to some extent. I think the, the the expectation is that perhaps people like me, um, operational experts, if I may say so, um, can take forward these these big mm. estates, these big portfolios. So mm. I, I'm enjoying seeing the, the the sector mature. And um, you know, your questions earlier about how entry points into it for young people, possibly veterans leaving the services. Mm. You know, these these are all really interesting things to consider because. Um, it is ultimately a people business. And oh, it's very much so. Uh, move, moving on a little bit to um, uh, how I'm, I'm sort of moving on more on the sustainability issues here, is that how important is uh, our sustainability issues uh, with a supplier that you work with? It's very important to us. We've got a, we've got a sustainability policy. Um, there is an overarching company-wide policy, as you would expect, London Bridge City has developed its own ESG policy and strategy. Um, sustainability is a huge part of that. Um, we will be, we will be looking deep into the extended supply chain of a service partner okay. to ensure that there isn't um, a sort of cosmetic approach to to sustainability. Um, one of, one of the best tools, actually, I think, to achieve that is 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 looking for ISO fourteen thousand and one, for example. Mm-hmm. We, we we are going to be rolling it out. But I think the there is a tendency, and I don't think it's necessarily particularly cynical, but there is a tens- tendency to for businesses to greenwash over these these issues. Yes, we're, we are looking for partners who um, can demonstrate least, it, at least at least demonstrate it, who are aligned to our policies crucially. Mm-hmm. And I actually enjoy, and we have some businesses working with us now who do this and do it very well, and I welcome it. I'm actually looking for businesses to arrive and challenge us, challenge me. Okay. On sustainability, I think that's a healthy flip when it you ha- when you have a uh, in your sector a cleaning partner arrive, who then says, "Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Why aren't you doing this?" 
and and it makes the the facility management team, my team, the operational team, stand back and say, because okay. we, because we hadn't thought of it, and uh, if you can do it, we'll embrace it. And that's a partnership, and it, it's very powerful. Sustainability is incredibly important to us, but authentic, sincere, genuine, reaching for an understanding of what that means in the extended supply chain, and mm-hmm. not allowing. ESG and other buzzwords and ideas and concepts that might be in vogue in the market mm-hmm. at the moment to to um, to overtake us. Yeah, so. and 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 do you think? I mean, you've been three years at London Bridge City. Are you there yet on sustainability? No, no. I think we will get there. I, I'm not suggesting that it's it's the pot of gold in the rainbow, but it takes time. It takes investment. It takes thought. Um, there are always new opportunities arising for us to be more sustainable um i'd go back to the point you know we were discussing earlier about culture i mm-hmm. think it's it's a cultural stance um having that shared purpose having that vision understanding that the choices we make do have an Im- impact on the climate yeah. and that we are in a climate emergency just recognizing the fact that the local authority had declared a number of years ago a climate emergency responding to that in a very considered way is, is important to us we're not where we want to be I think a lot of businesses aren't. Um, the The range of, um, air, you know, the, the, the number of areas of the operation that one can dive into to look to be more sustainable and have less impact are, it's almost infinite. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you know, how, how far do you want to go? And I think that leaves us, that leaves us hungry to, to continue to do better, continuous improvement, you know, do better all the time. Yeah, I mean, I think that, all I would say is that, you know, Hawkey Cleaning and Support Services in terms of sustainability looks at it from, a, you know, an economic, social um, uh, perspective as well as that environmental. So it's all those three pillars. Um, and we are, we're not there yet, but we are certainly making some headway yeah. in, that, in that respect. Moving on to a question that I ask um, everybody, and it's uh, always, a, I think it gives a bit of a lump in everybody's throat is, uh, um, you know, what what would you say is your biggest regret in your career to date? Yeah, this is, I, you know, this, this is a difficult one for me. Um, I remember hearing many years ago someone say, you know, we, we, we don't regret the things that we that we have done. We, we, we regret not taking those chances, not, not doing things, um, because it's, you know, I wish I had done that. I, I think I would start, by answering this question by saying a choice I made when I was in the military, um, which was to to leave my battalion and uh, go down a slightly unusual route, was was having joined the army as a soldier. Mm-hmm. I then went to Sandhurst, and I did that because it was it was offered. Um, someone saw some potential, and I felt it was the right thing to do, and I pursued that. Um, thinking it was career progression, believing it was uh, something to reach for, something to to attain, and probably thinking that it was it was um, a prolonged period of academic learning. You know, lots of other learning as well, a lot of fitness, a lot of a lot of sort of military training. But primarily, there's a lot of academic learning, a lot of leadership training, and and I thought that must be a good thing to do. It's this exemplar center of excellence in terms yeah. of leadership training. Um, generally never mind within the constraints of the military and i absolutely hated it 
absolutely hated it. And for a number of reasons. Um, did you finish it? No. Okay. I did two terms, um, was utterly miserable. I think, I think my fellow students knew I was, but they also knew that I'd already been a soldier for the best part of five years. And there were a number of reasons why I struggled with it, but I think I struggled because, well, there, there are the obvious things that I was being trained to do things that I'd been trained to do five years previously, and in some cases were qualified to instruct myself in terms of drill and small arms and so on and so forth. That was difficult, being in a learning environment and being taught again. Okay. I think everyone goes into that having been told you're going to find this difficult. You're going to be going back through a sort of 101 on on things. But what I found more difficult than anything was was that sort of classroom-based environment. Um, I'd spent five years in the military, been all over the world, and I found myself back in an environment which I thought I wouldn't be back in. I didn't enjoy school. You know, if I'm honest, uh, I left school when I was 16. Mm. I didn't go to university or, or hire a further education. So, and the, re- the reason I regret that is actually I, I shouldn't have done it in the first place. I was doing fine in terms of my career. What it taught me was, um, you know, to think, to stand back and think very carefully about the environment in which, you you know, one needs to be in to, to succeed. And, and, you know, what, you know, everyone learns in a different way mm-hmm. at a different pace yeah. and, and will feel more, feel more or less at home in different environments. It wasn't an environment where I felt I could succeed. Clearly, I've been very fortunate in my career to date. So, you know, I've done something right. Um, but at that time, I felt that I'd have been funneled into this center of excellence. Why wouldn't want to go there? Leaving it was incredibly difficult. People mm-hmm. sort of, people interviewing saying, maybe being interviewed by a very senior general who's, who was, you know, quite well known. He was the commandant and saying, why do you want to leave? And just saying to this exemplar senior officer, soldier, because I don't like it. Is, is, I'm is, not enjoying it. I'm not enjoying it. It's very difficult. Mm. I should never have been there. Um, I don't regret the opportunity. Relatively proud of having done it. But what it taught me was think carefully about where you're going and why. And um, I think the the environment in which I, I am learning, my ability to contribute, the people I'm interacting with, um, and so on, are really important to me. I know what I'm good at, and I know who I am. Mm. And I think a lot of that comes from that quite difficult decision-making, mm. leaving that environment behind and, and, and arriving in London uh, not long afterwards was a, was, a, was a hell of a thing to do. People mm. saying, why, why on earth have you done that? Did you fail? Did you know, were you kicked out? Uh, what, what happened? Um, and saying, no, I just really hated it. It wasn't for me. Um, but I think uh, it taught me a lot about what I do like. And so the flip of that. So that will bring me on to, um, <laughs> Mac, on to my next question, is that um, uh, what, what um, your greatest achievement in your career to date that's a tough one as well, isn't it? Uh, hopefully a little bit more upbeat. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's difficult. I, you know, what's my greatest achievement? I, 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 I can, can, can I pin that down to a, to a single moment in time or a single event? I'm not sure I can. Perhaps, um, perhaps where, where, you know, being here today to talk to you is, 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 uh, a reflection of where where I've arrived at in my career. You know, I'm able to sit here and talk to you as as the estate director at London Bridge City. I, I do think that where I am now, although it's tough and has been tough, is it's 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 an incredible privilege to be to be in the role I'm in. One of the prime 
privately owned estates in London, world-class stuff. You know, the view... Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, the, the view north of the city and the location is, is genuinely world-class. So it is it is genuinely a, a privilege. But, you know, um, it, it is also an achievement. I've worked hard for it. Mm. And, I, and that's what I would say to... Your, your listeners who who may be thinking you know how do i do how do i get into this what is it what does it mean is it the career for me is um it's it's taken a lot of hard work but my god it's 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 rewarding mm. because what what you can do by being a um you know a helpful professional articulate security officer in mayfair in the early noughties um is 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 20 years later mm. be running one of the you know most prestigious Private and property states in London, so you know the, the opportunity is there. So I think I think that's that's probably my key achievement is is, is just reflecting on the fact that you know I've had a great career, I've worked hard for it, I'm proud of that. I don't I don't think I should be, should you know I don't think there's any really not to be. Um, there is one there is one moment in my career that I that I it's not a regret. It's probably the best job I've ever had, and it, and if I if I had won the lottery, I would still be there. Uh, after, uh, I think a lot of people say that, though, don't they? <laughs> for sure, I think so. But this this is a particular point in time. I was so fortunate to to work on a fixed term contract for the Science Museum Group. Okay. So the Science Museum in mm. in, in South Kent, and I went there as uh, head of estates. I knew the chap who was uh, also there on a temporary basis or a fixed term contract, sort of consultancy basis, overseeing all of that, and. I went there not really knowing much about that the museum sector or the mm-hmm. heritage sector. Um, it was working very closely with the Department of Culture, Media, and Sport as as a major sponsor. They had a lot of sponsors. They were they were modernising the museum. There was something genuinely philanthropic about it, you know, mm-hmm. um, and and just an amazing space to be in. I have to say, arriving there with a coffee in the morning and walking through that space because it didn't open until 10 o'clock in the morning and 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 thinking about a being sheer joy uh, a, a very good way of putting it mm. sheer joy i used to walk through there floating a few inches off the floor walk through the aircrafts and walk mm. through the, the the rockets and and all the other paraphernalia that they've collected with no one else there no one else would turn up the public weren't there until 10 o'clock in the morning if if, if i could do anything with my professional career it would be to do a role like that um it was absolutely fantastic brilliant Brilliant experience. Um, I ran out of time and I and I moved on and I, and I have no regrets. <laughs> I hasten to add, it's not it's not a regret. It was a fantastic thing a to good be able experience. to do. Yeah. So finally, um, what I mean, this is just could be work or leisure. What what things in life gives um, you, Mac, um, the greatest satisfaction and enjoyment? Uh, well, away from work for this one. For okay. Me. I think personally. I mean, I grew up in the Highlands of Scotland. Ironically, in 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 some of the most least populated parts of Europe, um, and, and then had, you came to London. And I came to London, and at the time when I was growing up, to the age of about you know into my mid early mid teens, I had no idea what I had around me. I mean, there were some of the some of the best mountain climbing, walking country in the world, I would say. And I it was just on my doorstep. I'd just look out my window and see this stuff, and I had no idea what was there. And then and I'd, I learned a lot about being outdoors in the military and then arrived in London and I suddenly realized I missed it. So my, 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 per, you know, what Max go to is, uh, North Wales, um, the Highlands of Scotland, the Lake District. It's the outdoors. Uh, and I, uh, a weekend, um, with a heavy pack. Gosh, climbing, so it's really climbing and climbing and walking. Wild uh, stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think 
for me, the outdoors um, is 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 pure therapy, um, and not not just because we we live in a big bustling city, but because I, I you know it just it just is something that I've I've learned to love with or without people. You know, sometimes go in a group of mates uh, or with the family with my young boys. Sometimes go on my own. Um, but yeah, the outdoors. There's nothing better than getting up a mountain. Sometimes scrambling and climbing your way up it. Um, so that that's a massive love of mine. I don't get to do it as often as like. Unfortunately, London is very flat and quite a long way away yes. from from those areas. But we've got Primrose Hill. I think that's about it. Isn't it? <laughs> so, I mean, but uh, I mean, it's it sounds uh, like a real real sort of Bear Grylls experience um, there. So. That actually uh, brings us the, uh, to the end of our fifth uh, podca- uh, podcast, uh, Wear Many Hats. Um, we hope uh, our listeners have found this interesting as I have. Um, we'd like to thank um, Mac uh, for taking the chair today. Um, I think it's been uh, both uh, thought-provoking and engaging, and uh, obviously we welcome the support and feedback from some of our listeners. Thank you once again for uh, uh, taking part. No, thank you very much for your time. It's been very interesting. Thank you.